Again, God provides in every circumstance that we're going to be talking about this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, I hope you'll open it with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, where we're going to be this morning. So we think about God providing for us. It's hard to believe in some ways that we're coming up on Thanksgiving next week. At least it is for me. Seems like in some ways this year has flown by, but I guess we kind of say that every year, don't we? But it's a good reminder for us every year at Thanksgiving to take some time to slow down and reflect on the ways that God has provided for us. And I think as we think about that, there's often a difference between what we want sometimes, and especially when, you know, in a materialistic culture, and then on the other end, what we need. And Yet just our presence here together this morning and the ability to worship together today is a testimony, is it not, to God's faithfulness, to His provision in our lives, that He has provided what we need. It might not always be on our timetable or might not look how we would expect it to look, and yet God has seen us through. He's seen us here. We're here today. And so I just want to encourage you over the next week or two to take some time and to reflect Reflect just, you know, over your life, but especially over this past year uh, about how God has provided for you, right? Perhaps there have been times when it seemed in the moment that He wasn't providing or that He wasn't showing up in the way that you expected Him to, but looking back, you can see how His hand was at work. Or perhaps there are moments of extreme difficulty and weakness when He provided you with a friend, a brother or sister, somebody who would come alongside you and lift you up and encourage you. And so if it's true this morning that God provides in every circumstance, as we're going to argue from our text this morning, that it is, then one of the appropriate responses to that provision is that we would respond with a grateful heart. And so I hope over these coming weeks, over these coming days, we'll take some time to stop and express our gratitude to the Lord and to share that gratitude with those around us. God provides in every circumstance. So that's what we're looking at this morning as we're introduced today to the prophet Elijah. If you've been wondering how we're going to get from where we are here in 1 Kings today to the end of the Old Testament um, by Christmas, then the answer for you is this morning very quickly, right? We're going to be moving at a pretty quick pace. As has already been the case. We're not going to be able to give close attention to every event or every person who is recorded in these pages This is very much the view from 30,000 feet, kind of the flyover view, right, Eugene? That's kind of the altitude we would go from there as we're flying over that survey of salvation history of what God is doing in the world. And so as we've done that, we've kind of interspersed that with some layovers along the way to kind of get a feel for what God is doing and how what He's doing in the Scriptures at very, what seem like unique points actually point us to how He continues to work on the ground in our lives today. And so... We left Solomon last week asking for and then walking in wisdom. The rest of Solomon's story, though, was that he didn't always continue to walk in wisdom. In fact, Solomon failed miserably, and he fell hard. The seeds of his destruction were actually being sown even in 1 Kings chapter 3, where we saw last week that he entered a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh. And what happens by the time we come to 1 Kings 11 is that Solomon had actually it says, married many women from many nations, which went directly against God's design for marriage and also against God's instructions that his people weren't to marry those from other nations. This wasn't a command that was 
rooted in ethnic or national identity and certainly isn't a prohibition today against interracial marriage, but this was, on God's part, was a spiritual concern, not a racial concern. We know this because what we see ultimately being the problem in 1 Kings 11, verse 4, is this. It says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Solomon's heart was divided, divided between the love for the Lord and his love for other gods. And as a result, so was also the kingdom. The kingdom was also divided. And so in the days following Solomon's reign, Israel was divided actually into a northern kingdom known as Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And what comes for the rest of 1 Kings and 2 Kings is this line of kings in each kingdom, most of whom were told did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet, despite the repeated failures of all the kings, the sin of the people, God continued to send prophets all along the way. He continued to try to speak to his people and to call them back to faith, call them to repent of their idolatry and to turn back to him. God has been speaking. We've seen that. That's how he started, right? That's how he started in creation, God speaking. He's continued to speak. And so we aren't surprised that he would do that here during the time of the kings through prophets like Elijah. Many of the prophets authored books that are included in the Old Testament, but Elijah's story is contained really here in the historical books beginning in 1 Kings 17, where he's speaking to King Ahab of the northern kingdom, a king whom we are told did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, quote, more than all who were before him. That's where we are this morning in the story. Just to stay with this kind of flyover metaphor, it may be better to think of what we're doing this morning is instead of like getting out on the ground and walking around, we're going to kind of continue to move pretty quickly this morning. So maybe we're getting in one of those helicopters like they, you get in to do a tour over the Grand Canyon. I don't know. I've never done that, but it looks like it'd be a lot of fun. So we're still going to cover quite a bit of ground this morning pretty quickly. Actually, three chapters this morning. And so at some point we need to just get into it, right? Or we're going to be here all day. So let's get into it. First Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. God provides in every circumstance. We're going to look this morning at three ways we see that proven out in Elijah's story. And the first is this, that God provides for our physical needs. God provides for our physical needs. Elijah He goes before Ahab to announce a great drought. And while we might sometimes get confused about what are our needs versus what are our wants, there's no doubt that water goes in the need column, right? But as Elijah announces this great drought that's going to come upon the land, we hear God speaking a word of provision to Elijah. God sends him to the brook Cherith, where not only would Elijah be able to drink from the brook, which we might expect, but he would also be fed by the ravens, we're told. And so on the one hand, we see God providing water from the brook through 
seemingly ordinary means, but on the other hand, we see God providing food miraculously delivered to Elijah by the ravens. God provides for Elijah's basic needs as he does ours, right? At times through what seem like ordinary means, but at other times in extraordinary and supernatural ways. Also notice here that God provided for Elijah miraculously, but he didn't do it apart from Elijah's faith and obedience, but actually through Elijah's faith and obedience. God's intention to provide doesn't give us a license for laziness. God actually provides for us and through us, through our faith and through our obedience. He uses our faith and our obedience as the means by which he will sometimes provide for us and also for those around us. And so when God gives us instructions to do something like he does here, telling Elijah, go to the brook and the ravens will bring you food, even when it might seem crazy to us, we need to do what God tells us to do. There's enough evidence in these first seven verses alone, I think, for us to say that God provides for our physical needs. He provided for Elijah. But the story doesn't stop there. Verse 7 tells us that the drought wore on and the brook eventually dried up. And then we see God providing once again. Verses 8 through 16, God provides both for and through the widow of Zarephath. The Lord tells Elijah at that point when the brook was dried up to get up and go outside of the land of Israel into the heart of Baal-worshipping territory to this widow who God had commanded to provide for his need. And so Elijah gets up and goes. And we learn as he goes that this is not someone with an abundance to share with Elijah. In fact, she tells Elijah her plan for the day is that she would prepare one last meal for herself and for her son of what they had left, and then they would die. She was completely out of food. But Elijah insists. He insists that she go and prepare a meal for him because that's what the Lord had said. And so we pick it up in verse 14. He tells her, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Again, God provides for the physical needs of Elijah, but this time also for the widow and her son, not through their abundance of resources, but out of her scarcity. That we might see that God provides for us not out of our limited means or our scarce resources or our abilities, but that he provides for us out of his limitless means and infinite resources. The flour and the oil didn't run out as Elijah and the widow trusted and obeyed the word of the Lord. And through the widow's obedience, God provided not just for her, but also for Elijah, just as he provides for us at times so that we can share that provision with others. God's provision calls us this morning not only to be faithful and to be obedient to him, but also to be compassionate and generous towards others. God provides for our physical needs. That case, I think, is strong already in what we've seen with Elijah and with the widow, but chapter 17 continues on. Verse 17 through the end of that chapter, we've been focused on the food and water to this point, but there are other physical needs we have as well, namely life and breath. And verse 17 tells us that after some time, the son of the widow became ill and he died. And the widow and Elijah were both just 
distraught. But we're told at that point that Elijah took the boy to the upper chamber of the house and cried to the Lord over him three times, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. In verse 22, it says, The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I think most of us probably have some sort of testimony this morning of how we've seen God do something, maybe not as extreme as raising someone from the dead, but of how we would point in our lives to maybe a time when we were ill and the God provided healing or somebody we know in our family or in our church family or a friend where all medical evidence and even the doctors and the nurses said, well, we don't know what else to do, but we prayed, others prayed, and in the face of what seemed like impossible odds, God brought health back to their body. We didn't see how it was possible, neither did here the widow of Zarephath, but not only is God's provision not limited by our resources, his provision is not limited by our imagination. Through Elijah's prayer, God raised this child back to life. He provides for our physical needs. We hear Jesus telling us that in the Sermon on the Mount, teaching us to pray for our daily bread for God to provide for our physical needs today, trusting that he always does. Jesus would tell us not to be anxious, right? Why? Because if God provides for the birds of the air and the grass of the field, then surely he will take care of you. James 1.17, we're told every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Philippians chapter 4, Paul testifies about his own time of need, and he talked about how the Philippians gave generously to him, with Paul pinning one of our favorite verses to abuse and misuse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul isn't talking there about running faster or jumping higher or achieving more success by our definition. He's saying he can face the lowest of lows or the highest of highs It doesn't matter what comes as long as he has Jesus. And so he can tell the Philippians and us that if we are in Christ and we're living lives that reflect his generosity, he can say as he does in Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God provides for our physical needs. I pray today that we know that, that we believe that, and that with grateful hearts we would work and rest and give as if that is true. God provides for our physical needs. He provides in every circumstance. The second way we see that in Elijah's story is that God provides spiritual victories. God provides spiritual victories. Ahab did what was evil in the sight of the Lord more than any king before him. Like Solomon, Ahab married a foreign woman. Her name was Jezebel. And we're told that he served her God, known as Baal, going as far even to build an altar to Baal among God's people. Baal was a regional god at that time. He was known as the god of the storms, and therefore he was the god upon whom the fertility of the the land was believed to depend. And so Baal was attractive to the Israelites, to the people of Israel, because if they were going to just cover their bases, living in a largely agrarian society, then it would be good for 
fail to be on their side, sending the rain they wanted and needed to sustain them, right? That's what they thought, at least. It made sense if it was true, right? But what God signaled with the predicted drought and what we see now in 1 Kings chapter 18 is that God is the one who sends and controls the rain, not Baal. And so we can begin to see what we've seen begin to take shape here with this drought. And now what will come next, it's not just about rain and about food. This is a spiritual battle taking place. As Elijah and Ahab finally come face to face, we read in 1 Kings 18, verse 17, it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me as at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. It says there that Elijah would then call out the people of Israel for their divided hearts. That's what he did. Worshiping the Lord and Baal was a denial of the Lord's worth and his faithfulness. And so he calls them, choose. Choose between the Lord and Baal. But the people, says, just stood in silence. And from there, Elijah starts setting the scene for the battle to come. There were 450 prophets of Baal, one prophet of the Lord, just Elijah. And he said, what we're going to do is each of us is going to get a bull, we're going to lay it on the altar, and we're going to call for fire. You call from Baal, I'll call from the Lord, Elijah says. And so Elijah let the prophet of Baal go first. And so they prepared the bull. They started crying out to Baal to send fire. But by noon, Elijah's mocking them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened, right? A-level smack talk from Elijah. And from there, they're cutting themselves in attempts to force Baal into action. They're trying everything in the world to get his attention. And they go on all day with no answer. And then finally, it's Elijah's turn. And so he gathers up the people and he repairs the altar of the Lord using 12 stones to signify the 12 tribes of Israel whom the Lord had called his own. He digs a trench around the altar. He sets up the wood, prepared the bull, lays it on the altar. And then instead of calling for fire, Elijah had the people get jars full of water and pour them on the offering and on the wood. And then he had them do it again a second time. And then he had them do it a third time until the water filled the trench around the altar. And then Elijah prayed that God would make himself known so that his people would have their hearts turned back to him. Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God provides spiritual victories. Outnumbered 450 to 1, with a sacrifice and an altar drenched with water, God demonstrated his power. And the people cried out in repentance and in faith, the Lord is God. 
prophets of Baal were decisively defeated. God provides spiritual victories. Once again, fire falling from heaven might seem sufficient to prove the point, but God wasn't even finished yet again. Elijah told Ahab that rain was on the way, which remember is significant because Baal was supposed to be the God to bring rain and storms. But Elijah's victory over the prophets of Baal was followed by relief from the drought because the Lord is the one who sends rain upon the earth. And so 1 Kings 18 concludes in verse 46, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God provides spiritual victories with the hearts of his people divided and a king defying the Lord in favor of false gods, he intervened, bringing his people to the confession that he is Lord. And now Ahab is on the run and Elijah is emboldened by the victories that God has won for him. Elijah is at this point going to Jezreel ahead of Ahab. He's unafraid of Ahab. And we might think at this point, unafraid of anybody. Why would he be afraid of anyone at this point? God is on his side and God provides spiritual victories. We're not sacrificing bulls or calling down fire from heaven this morning, but God is still the one who provides spiritual victories. Paul would say to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 13, you who were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And hear this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Make no mistake, there are spiritual battles taking place today. Scriptures tell us to be alert and to be ready, but also don't forget that God provides spiritual victories. We see it in the death and resurrection of Jesus, by which he has forgiven our sins, canceled our debt, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities of evil, putting them to shame just like he did the prophets of Baal. God provides spiritual victories today on the basis of what Christ has accomplished through the cross and through the resurrection. And God also, though, he provides spiritual victories today through the means of our faith. That is how those victories that Christ has won are applied to our lives in the first time it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the Lord. And this is the victory. This is the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no more power. Sin has no more power because of what Jesus has done for us. And so as a result of Christ's victory, we can, by faith, win every battle with temptation. As a result of Christ's victory, we can, by faith, overcome every fear. As a result of Christ's victory, there is no person whose sin is so severe that Christ's victory cannot be ours by faith. And if God is able to raise Christ from the dead, then he's able to turn any heart anywhere in the world toward him in 
faith. God provides spiritual victories. And so this morning, I would just ask you, what's the victory that you need, that you're praying for in your life? Or who is the person that you're praying for, that they would experience the victory that Jesus has won for them, that they would experience a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Who are you praying for? Who are you sharing this good news with? Who are you pleading with God that he would save them? God provides spiritual victories. He provides in every circumstance. The third way we see that in Elijah's story is that God provides reassuring peace. Reassuring peace. The Lord's victory over the prophets of Baal was swift and decisive. All who witnessed it knew it was true that they had been defeated, but Jezebel wasn't there to see it. And it probably wouldn't have mattered if she was, because when Ahab told her what happened, she swore Elijah was a dead man, that he would be dead by the end of the next day. Of course, though, Elijah had seen God provide miraculously for him time and time again. He'd seen God raise a boy from the dead. He'd seen, after he stood toe-to-toe with 450 prophets of Baal, he'd seen God win that spiritual battle. And so do you think Elijah's afraid of Jezebel? Right? Chapter 19, verse 3, it says of Elijah, then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Right? What in the world happened to Elijah? Right? Where is the Elijah who was mocking the prophets of Baal? Where is Elijah who was running ahead of the king, standing up to the king of Israel? What happened to Elijah, though, is what happens to us. On the hills of a great spiritual victory, and immediately following this mountaintop spiritual moment, Elijah took his eyes off of the Lord and became focused on himself, right? We know the temptation to a great spiritual victory. Instead of saying, look at what the Lord has done, to kind of sit back and think, look what I just accomplished, look what I have done. And so when Elijah hears Jezebel's coming for him, it says he's afraid and He sees Jezebel differently than he did those 450 prophets of Baal. Instead of staying focused on the Lord and listening to the Lord's direction, Elijah's eyes are fixed on the very real threat that he faced. And so he runs, he hides, he asks the Lord actually to take his life. Here's Elijah on top of the world one minute and in the deepest and darkest depression the next. God provides for his physical needs God provided spiritual victories, but at this moment, Elijah wasn't focused on what God was doing. Elijah was running. But as Elijah runs, we see God is still providing. And he sends an angel to remind Elijah of the simplest thing, arise and eat. It's how deep Elijah's depression was at this point. Some of you have been there. He needed someone to push him just to get up and eat. He was at the point where he wasn't wanting to do anything, paralyzed by fear and overcome with dread. But Elijah did what we sometimes need to do. Still at this point, filled with despair and with dread, he got up and ate, which didn't cure his depression, didn't fix the way he was seeing everything in the world, but it sustained him to the point where God would begin to do that. So arise and eat wasn't a full plan, but it was the first step. It was the next step he needed to take, which is often the step that we need to take when we find ourselves in dark days, just to get up and eat and take the next step, just to get up and say to somebody 
that loves us. I need some help. I'm not okay. Elijah runs again. It says he ran and ran and ran 40 days and 40 nights until he was at Horeb, the Mount of God, where he literally hides in a cave. He's hiding in a cave, and that's where the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. I think it's important for us to note here that every time we've seen Elijah moving up until chapter 19, he's been moving in response to the word of the Lord and the direction of the Lord. But this time, Elijah's not running because of the word of the Lord. He's running according to the word of Jezebel. And so when we hear God's question for Elijah in chapter 19, verse 9, we hear the Lord saying to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God asks Elijah what he's doing, and Elijah responds with, Lord, I've been true to you while everyone else abandoned you, Lord. I'm the only one left who serves you. I'm all alone, and now they're going to kill me. Elijah believed the same lie that we often believe in our lowest moments, that he was all alone. That was how he felt. So God calls Elijah out onto the mountain where the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore through the mountains, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. But then it says a low whisper, a still small voice. And when he heard that low whisper, it says that Elijah finally went out to the entrance of the cave where God had called him to come earlier. Where the Lord repeats this question to Elijah again, what are you doing here? Which Elijah answers once again, just like he had before. I'm the only one left, Lord. They're going to kill me. All right, Elijah's dug in at this point. It's as if seeing all these great things, hearing from the Lord directly. He doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want to understand what God is saying to him. But the Lord goes on and he tells Elijah to return to Damascus, to return through the place he had just run and to go back where he would anoint a new king over Syria, the capital of Baal-worshipping country. He would appoint a new, anoint a new king over Israel, and he would anoint Elisha as a new prophet. So when we see Elijah here feeling defeated, God tells him to go and anoint new leaders who would continue the work that God was using him to do. They would bring an end to the era of bell worship in Israel and turn people's hearts back to the Lord. God is demonstrating for Elijah that he is a God who works not just through the spectacular, the wind, the earthquake, the fire, the calling down fire from heaven, but through ordinary processes, the low whisper, the slow moving progress of the world to bring things into alignment with his will. And in 1 Kings 19, 18, the Lord says to Elijah, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And Elijah felt alone, 
But God reminds him he was not, that there were still 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed to Baal. Elijah wasn't the only one who had trusted the Lord and stood against the false worship that was taking, making its way through the kingdom. God provides reassuring peace. Elijah felt defeated, but God promised victory. Elijah felt alone, but God was with him, and so were many others. What Elijah needed was to once again to start walking according to what the Lord said instead of running according to what Jezebel said, and that is what he did. God provides reassuring peace. So for us, he does the same. When we are tired and maybe feel like laying down and giving up, the Lord says to us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And when Paul faced opposition in Corinth, and it might have seemed that he was all alone, the Lord said to him there in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord was with Paul, and as a result of his preaching, he tells him, others will join you. Others will come to know the Lord. God provides Paul with reassuring peace. He does the same for us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says this, do not be anxious about anything, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God promises peace that surpasses all understanding as we take our concerns and our requests before him. The one who has secured our victory through his son. And that means that when it looks like you should be anxious, when it looks like you are trapped, and when it looks like defeat is imminent, when it feels like you are all alone, just as it did for Elijah, God is still victorious. God provides reassuring peace. He provides in every circumstance. He provides for our physical needs. This morning, I don't know what your need is today, but the Lord does. I don't know how he's provided for you already in these recent days or how he will provide for you in days to come, but I would encourage you to listen for his voice and to watch for his hand at work that we might be people who know the joy of grateful hearts. God provides for our physical needs. He provides spiritual victories as well. And once again, I'll say, I don't know the battle that you're in today. In fact, you might not know the battle that you're in today. But the Lord does. And I know that God has secured for us victory over sin and death through Christ's victory over sin and death. And I know that Christ's victory is ours through faith. And so today, if you are here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never believed that he is the Son of God and asked him to save you and to forgive you and to make you a part of his family, today can be the day that you do that and that you experience the victory that he has for you. He provides spiritual victories and he provides reassuring peace surpasses my understanding how we can have peace under the crushing weight of grief. Right? It's beyond our understanding how we can have peace 
in the face of overwhelming fear. It's beyond our understanding how we can have peace when the opposition looms large. But that's the peace that the Lord has promised us. The one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, has promised peace. And he provides for us in every circumstance. And so I pray today that we would know that, that we would believe that, and then that we would pray, work, and rest like that is true. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the ways that you provide for us, Lord, in ways that we don't even know that we need you to provide for us, Lord. You provide. You provide and protect, provide for us physically, sustaining our lives, Lord. As we often sing, Lord, it's your breath in our lungs. We thank you, Lord, for providing for us. We pray that you would help us to be as generous toward others as you have been toward us. Pray today that you would help us to to see clearly all the ways that you provide for us, that our hearts would be filled with gratitude instead of grumbling, Lord. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to see that you're a God who provides spiritual victories, Lord, and that you would strengthen our faith, or that you would give faith to those who, who do not yet know you, Lord, that you would move to draw them to you, Lord, and to, to trust in your son, Jesus. So we pray that you would move to bring spiritual victories. We pray for those in our lives that you have called us to share your good news with, Lord. That this week you would be preparing their hearts, that you would be preparing our hearts, that when we have the opportunity to have conversations about the goodness of God and about the grace that is available through your son Jesus, Lord, that our hearts would be clear and that their hearts would be open, that they would come to know you and experience the victory that you have, God. When we pray today for your reassuring peace. Lord, we oftentimes know your provision and we know the victory that you've won, God, and yet in difficulties and in the face of threats, God, we can become afraid and we can misplace our focus, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that you would draw near to us, Lord, and speak comfort and encouragement into our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to to be faithful, Lord, when you would use us to be those encouragers for others, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see all the ways that you provide, Lord, and to trust and to walk in your provision, that we would pray as if, Lord, you're the one who provides for us, Lord, because you are. Lord, and so we pray today that you would provide for us today our daily bread, that you would provide for us victory over temptation and over sin, Lord, and that you would provide for us peace and assurance to walk forward with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.